This podcast is part of the Shareable Podcast Network. Learn more at shareable.fm. You are now listening to the Heroic Council. We are now live. Uh, Heroic Council back in session, looking a little different than it has in previous weeks, because today we have our very, very first guest on the Heroic Council. Renee, it is so very cool to have you here. Thank um, you so much for having me. I'm so yeah, happy to be absolutely. here. So the, the introduction for today goes as follows. I am your host, Jeff Gibbard, and I'm hosting the Heroic Council. Uh, my featured guest today uh, is going to be Renee Pollins, as well as my uh, co-host, uh, co-Heroic Council member, Sarah. Uh, Tim is taking off because uh, not feeling so well, and Parshall had a prior engagement that she had to go to, uh, but they will be back with us uh, on future episodes, we promise. Uh, make sure to tune in every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time so that you can catch the Heroic Council live, or you can always, of course, subscribe on your favorite podcasting thing. Once I catch up with actually getting them out and publishing them, it's been a busy year so far, guys. I'm sorry. Uh, you can find all the info you need at superheroinstitute.org slash heroic, and that's going to have links to all different places where you can watch the show, whether it be YouTube or Periscope or on Facebook or in our group and all that sort of good stuff. And uh, if you love the show, remember the best thing that you can do for us is head on over to iTunes and give us a five-star rating. So with that said, let's get started. We're about to get this show on the road. This podcast is part of the Shareable Podcast Network. Learn more at shareable.fm. And we're back. Um, so today, as I mentioned, my uh, guest is Renee Pollins. Uh, Renee, tell people who you are and what you do and uh, anything else you want to let them know about at the moment. Okay, sure. So I am a leadership strategy and culture consultant. I've had my own practice for just a bit over three years now. Prior to that, I was in a consulting firm for a little over 20 years. Um, and I love what I do. I'm also a mom. I live in the Philadelphia area. I've got three kids and I have some workmen in the house. So there's a little bit of banging in the background, which I'm going to try and minimize for everybody by going on and off mute. But yeah, so that's a little bit about me. Uh, you, you preempted me there because I was going to tell everyone that that's our, our house beat for the day. So <laughs> like we're throwing a little bit of like a, we're getting into like rave heroic councils now. And um, this is very club music type thing. But uh, okay, so you gave it away. It's actually construction. So on and off for Renee. So, we're not as cool as we thought we were. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what I thought it was going to be. Um, all right, cool. Well, let's get into it because today we're talking about a topic that is very near and dear to a lot of our hearts. Um, I think this is an ideal episode for us. It's going to be probably very conversational. Um, so all of us feel free to ask each other questions and let's just dabble in this. But we're going to be talking about leadership and culture, where those things intersect, what those things are, why they're important, and all those sort of good sort of uh, aspects of, of you know leadership and culture. So let's start out with this um, because I, I think this is uh, – I think – people have a general sense of what it means when we say culture, but I think it's important that we're very specific about the terms that we're using here. And I'm going to ask also about leadership after this, but let's start with culture. Renee, how would you even define culture? Like what is it exactly? So I think every group of people has a culture and in its the simplest and most empowering definition that I found is that it is a shared mindset that is supported by shared behaviors within the group. So 
I mean, I, I like that definition because I think then if you want to change the culture in any way, you're, you're going to get interested in what is the mindset of the culture and the behaviors like together, not just not as simple as a, we've been doing this and now we're going to do that. But I think if you can incorporate um, what the mindset of the culture is and what you want it to be, I think you increase your odds of, of building the kind of culture that you want. I absolutely love that. And another thing that that reminds me of is um, in the in conversations around brand, you know, when you're talking about all the different things that make up a brand, the brand purpose, the brand promise, the values, et cetera, et cetera. Um, in the Netflix culture deck, very, very widely respected, widely circulated deck about culture, uh, Netflix goes deep into values and talks about how values aren't just like the things that you hang on the wall, like how Enron had like integrity as one of their values, right? Um, but it's you know, the way that values become manifest and become real is that you have to explain what, what, how do these behaviors show up in terms of actions and behaviors? And then if there are things that we value as an organization, how do we reward those behaviors, right? So if you execute these behaviors that are rooted in the values, then we have a way of being able to say these are our corporate values, right? So I really like that you've attached culture as being, you know, the the kind of like pervasive mindset and shared thinking around things, but also around the actual actions that people are taking. Um, Seth Godin oftentimes will talk about culture in a way that I guess I would summarize as like the way it is around here. It's sort of like a thing that we all kind of commonly are um, innately understand is kind of shared amongst us. We all have a similar viewpoint on things. Um, so, okay. So that's, that's culture. So now, uh, and Sarah, do you have anything to contribute about, uh, you know, any, any additions to the definition here of culture? Well, having worked in a, in a small business for much of my career and, and, and worked with other small businesses, I think it's interesting to point out that culture happens, whether you are trying to have it or, or not. And, and to Renee's point about being a group of people, Renee, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you can have a culture if there's just two people or maybe even a culture within your own self. And I think it's so interesting that we think about culture as something that maybe a corporation might have, but really any group of people, small groups, maybe even especially have a, a culture that's, that's happening organically. Yeah, sure. that's a good point. yeah. Also, when we think about culture, right, like company culture, you know, we're in a professional context. We all know each other professionally. So obviously when we say culture, we think about company culture, but the, probably the more common usage of culture is like in terms of like uh, sociological context, right? Like, so like um, the, the culture of different people, right? Which is a shared set of customs, shared set of beliefs, shared set of behaviors and rituals and all sorts of things like that. So it runs so much deeper. And then we map it onto company culture and we're like ping pong table, right? Like that's culture. <laughs> so we, we boiled it down to that. Um, so it's obviously much more than that. And I think, Sarah, you make a really good point about um, it exists whether or not you are actually focused on it and whether or not you try to do anything about it, which kind of leads to this question about malleability of culture. So Renee, can you talk a little bit about, you know, you, you consult people on culture. So it's assumed then that culture is something that you can shift. How, what does that look like? Is it, is it difficult? Is it easy? Is there a process to it? Is it kind of like sometimes it's one or the other? Talk a little bit about that if you would. So I think, and some sawing in the background, but I think for a, yeah, you can definitely shift the culture. The first step for me that, that I'll talk to companies about and leaders about is, 
I mean, if you have a sense of, of where you're starting from, if you, if you can identify what, how people are thinking and behaving now, and then where you want to go, I think that's great. If you can do that, not everybody can do that. Um, usually it's like a, this, you know, maybe this isn't it, or this isn't quite what we want. And there's an idea of where to go. Not so much like where we are can be hard to identify, but where we want to go. Um, and the very first step that, that um, I think needs to happen is to be, is for someone who's going to assume or claim a leadership role in it, which may not be hierarchically based, but, but assume and claim that leadership role and decide at first with themselves, that I am going to start leading this in a direction where it's going to be healthier, more productive, more enjoyable, like what, whatever that kind of future state is. And then, you know, deciding it and then take very proactive and consistent steps towards that until it is, until that is the culture, until you've reached that desired culture state. So is would you say that culture is one of those things that um, everyone is accountable for kind of assuming and stepping into that leadership role? Would you say that it's, you know, this is on the CEO to kind of define, here's the type of company we want? I think it's great if you've got a CEO who, who says, this is the kind of company that we want. And, and you know, I've talked with people who think that it's, you know, if the CEO isn't doing it, then how's it possibly going to happen kind of thing. And most CEOs will at the very least uphold the, the strategic core values of the company and, and want that instilled throughout the organization. But the most power is again, when you've got a, someone who says, I'm going to claim leadership in this and I'm going to start proactively leading it. You've get, you get a lot of power when you've got multiple people on the same page with that who are, who are leading it forward. Here's a question for all of you, because it occurred to me as we're talking about this and also in like, this is a subject that I'm endlessly fascinated with company cultures. And because ultimately I think generally speaking, work sucks. People hate it. Going to work is terrible. Like it, and it's like the meme, right? Like, it's not that like everybody hates their job, but like, it's sort of like, Oh, is it Friday yet? Like that's the general pervasive way that we relate to work. And I think part of that is because we haven't done a very good job, generally speaking, across corporate cultures of creating a work environment where people feel like they can be whole human beings and where they can, you know, relate to their colleagues in a way that's human, um, where they're okay to fail, like all these different things that are just like part of the natural human experience. I think that we like put off to the side as soon as you walk through the, the front door of the corporate office, right? So I think we have this problem there. That said, once we start talking about culture, like this, you know, I've read several books on culture, you know, we talk about culture, whether we're on the hangout or whether we're on here doing it, like it, it's a thing it seems to me that we all want the same culture, right? Like may, may, there might be slight differences here and there, but correct me if I'm wrong to, and this is like, I, this isn't like a prescriptive pre-wrote thing. Like it's literally just occurred to me. We all want a place where we can go, where people are nice to one another. They're direct with one another and honest, where they work hard, where they take accountability. Like literally every company probably wants the same, like you listed out 10 different things. They all want it. Right. And then there's some where they're like, we're a little more competitive. Okay, cool. So that's your variation on it. But for the most part, you want a place that people enjoy showing up to and they work hard. 
Um, I'm I'm ready to be wrong about that. In your work with different companies and the kind of culture work that they're doing, do you ever see anything that's like uniquely different from that? Because it would seem to me like that's ultimately what we're all looking for is like this singular idea of an enjoyable place to work. That is, yes, that's what I hear. Like the enjoyable place to work, all the characteristics. And the one thing I would add in is, and winning at whatever the, the goals are that are set for the company and, and winning. So there's that experience of winning um, or achieving or accomplishing whatever word you want to put in there. Um, so I think everybody wants that. What I've found, and it's it's been rare, but I have worked with with a few clients who say that are very sincere genuinely mean it but when the rubber hits the road they just want people to do what they tell them to do and and that's where i think so yes i do think everybody wants that and there are some rare instances where people there's there's a disconnect between yes i want this and then there's like what it takes to authentically, genuinely make that happen. And, and there's, there's always some kind of humility in there of not knowing all of the answers and being willing to collaborate and come together and ask for help. I think those are all kind of like things that happen when you are building that kind of a culture. And, and there are some times that, that when you get right down to it, it's like, no, I just, just want people to do what I want them to do, in which case, okay, well then, then that's the culture that you're going to have. Like, it's okay. There are times when that's a very appropriate culture, but, but don't say you want this other thing when really what you want is this. Do you know what I mean? Do you think that ever works that like, so it's, and I agree with everything you just said, right? Like, I actually think that's probably the big hurdle, right? Like you say you want the place that everybody shows up and they're fully expressed. You say the place where you create a culture where people can be vulnerable. You say all these things. And a lot of times you say it because you know, it's the right thing to say, right? Like, you know, that that's what you're supposed to want. Like you've read books and all the HBR articles. And this is, this is like, of course I want this guys let's come together. Like it's, you know, all hands, like we're going to, but a lot of them just want people to listen to. Is that it? Is that, have we just uncovered it? Is it, is that it? It's the ego thing. It's the, I want everyone to listen to me. I'm in charge. Everyone do as I say. And that's actually with the culture. And if so, like you said, like maybe in some places that's a good culture. I mean, maybe the military, but even that I, you know, I, there's a book by Jocko willing called extreme ownership. And in that book, I don't think he really advocates for this. Um, you know, everybody follows the chain of command exactly sort of thinking, but more everybody takes ownership in their own role and responsibility towards the shared mission, right? So even that, like, are there instances where that's even the right fit for anywhere? I mean, do people just convince themselves that, yeah, it's okay. I like going to work and being told exactly what to do and going home. Is that a thing? I think, I think there are some times when it's like, Yeah. I, I think there are some times, but by and large, I think people want the culture that you described that we were just talking about where it's enjoyable and people come together and they collaborate and they do really awesome things together. Um, and they've got the values and they're upheld and, and all of that. Um, I don't, I don't often see it where a leader will come to me and say, we want this, you know, beautiful kind of version of a culture that I read about in all of these articles. 
And then I get six months into working with them and I'm like, this is just not ever going to get traction because really that's not what you want kind of thing. I've, I've had like maybe three instances in my career where that happens, but it, it was startling to me to like finally come to the, okay, let's, let's just call a spade a spade kind of a thing. Yeah. So let's assume good intentions on most people's part then for the, for the remainder of this conversation. I know we went down a little rabbit hole there. Sorry. Well, I, uh, I want to add one thing. Renee yeah. and I were both uh, speakers at a conference last week together and I got to listen to her talk, which was amazing. And she said, um, most companies don't have toxic cultures. And I found that so great because I think we hear about it so often. This is toxic or toxic work culture. And it was really refreshing to hear you say, Renee, that's not typical. You you rarely find it in your work. I think that's, a, that's wonderful. Yeah, no, I think there can be toxic pockets. Mm -hmm. Like you can have a toxic relationship within a company, which will color your experience of having a toxic work environment. But there is, there's a lot out there like, oh, it's so toxic here. I mean, for the most part, that's that's not what I find, but you know, but I'm also real about it. I know that there are there are spaces where it can be toxic for sure. Yeah, I find that hard. Like it I I, I wanna believe that that's true. That like most company cultures aren't toxic, but I don't know. I, I I was so surprised when you said it. I thought, oh wow, really? Like that? It just yeah. You you think there's there's more toxicity out there, but I think you're right. Is that it's not so much an entire culture as it is maybe one relationship or one department. You know, these subcultures more. And and it, and it covers it. Yeah. Yeah. That because I think that's part of it, is, right? Like so, maybe you have a hundred people in the country and you in the company and you have like five people who are like negative and they're like constantly, you know, griping and moaning and maybe they don't take care of their assignments and it take it, you know, it makes sure that the team gets dragged down a little bit. And I think that can color the entire experience. It's interesting to, to think of it as possibly being more of an isolated issue than it is like a systemic problem in the organization. So assuming good intentions, yes. back to that part, right? Let's, yeah. let's assume that you want to go in and start working with a company and, and working on their culture and showing people how to step into the leadership role of doing such a thing. What are some of the aspects that go into creating a great culture? Um, just in terms of like, you know, let, let's look at it almost like a checklist, right? Like you you have your sort of like your packing list, like what do we need to get started on this journey? What are some of the first steps and things to consider and think about? Great question. Um, well, I can tell you one of the things that I often do with companies in, in this particular journey is I'll administer a, a survey with, with your standard culture questions. And I'll also do a handful of interviews leading up to it. So I have like a general sense of that particular culture. So I'll include questions in this, in a survey of the standard ones and then the customized ones to be able to identify as best as possible, you know, without doing six months of work and, and kind of trial and error, but as much as possible up front to identify with that particular culture, what, what do they need to focus on? Because it's, it is, it's, it's at least slightly different for every organization. And it's probably when you get in, into larger organizations, it's slightly different, you know, in each department what they need in order to, to develop uh, a culture that people love going to work. 
Um, so checklist, I'm going to go like off the cuff here on this. And so we can, we can do this together. Yeah. <laughs> but I do think, um, there is, there's some element of integrity. However, that gets kind of articulated. There's some element of integrity. Um, there's an element of caring for the customer where that's, that's a priority. Um, you know, that, that takes, that takes a precedence. Um, and then I think an element of having fun or enjoyment is also, I'm, I'm missing like 10 key elements, I'm sure as I'm saying this, but one of the things that I'll, um, listen for when, when I'm working with a group of people and we're talking about like, what are the key elements of this culture that are really important to either continue like um like company pride you know like that's something that is more often than not in like people they're proud of their product or they're proud of the service or they're proud of the history they're proud of something right so the the legacy and the pride is something that doesn't always need to be developed often oftentimes needs to be continued and accentuated right so things like that. But, but fun is something that I'll listen for because it doesn't always get called out like, yeah. And it's a, you know, it's a fun place to work or we love coming to work here or it's, it's not always in the forefront when, when a group of leaders are coming together and, and thinking about, it. so I'll, I'll listen for that. It's, if it doesn't, you know, if they don't come up with it, I'll, I'll put it forward. Like, what about fun? Because fun can sound frivolous, you know, it's kind of like, I mean, we really, we want people to like coming to work here, but fun, like if people are having fun, doesn't that mean that they're not going to be productive? And that's, I always think that's a good conversation to have because I mean, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. For the most part, I found if people are having fun and they've got integrity and they are paying a lot of attention to what the customer needs and they're caring about how they're working with one another, and they're being accountable. I mean, with all that, like, why wouldn't you have fun as as part of your culture? Yeah, it, it makes me think of like there there are friends that we all have that like you could do literally anything with sitting around in silence with them, and you're like, this is actually kind of fun. Like, the so I feel like if you create a good culture where there's good interpersonal relationships between people, no matter what you're doing, there should be at least some element of enjoyment that comes from it. But Sarah, you were going to say something. I think I just jumped in front of you. Well, I, I think people think of fun and we talked about the ping pong tables earlier. Um, Jeff, I, I visited you a few years ago at WeWork and, you know, there's there's beer coming out of the machines and there's lattes on draft and, and we think that's what we need to have fun. In reality, and I, I know a lot of people talk about they don't leave a job, they leave a boss they, they leave the other people. They leave the feeling of, I didn't accomplish anything. I'm not enjoying myself. And that has nothing to do with draft beers <laughs> being available to you 24-7. It has to do with the camaraderie of the people saying, Sarah, you did a good job today. Renee, that talk you gave last week was amazing. And I think that's where we get so confused about what is fun at work. And, and so we put these almost Band-Aids on the fun and say, oh, we got a ping pong table. Now it's fun. It's like, no, nobody really needs that. They needed someone to say, Jeff, great job today. You landed us a new client. 
well done. And that's, that is fun. <laughs> Getting that kind of praise from people is really fun. Working with people on a project and <clears throat> Renee said before, a win, what's a win? Um, overcoming an obstacle and, and feeling that win is fun. And I think that's just important to not lose sight of, you don't need to put band-aids on fun. <laughs> with flashy things. It's, it's really about how we're treating each other. That can be fun. Yeah. I completely mm -hmm. agree with all of that. What other, what are some of the other things that either of you would consider as like, if you were building out your perfect culture, you know, you want to think about either the company that you're building, imagine you have a bunch of people on board or you're going in to consult with a company that you're thinking about working with or whatever, and you want to build out the perfect culture. How would you, um, what are some of the immediate things that you might address, like areas of the company to think about, like this has an outsized impact on what type of a culture we're going to have or um, certain roles within the company that can have an outsized impact or certain behavior characteristics? Like what are some of those big ticket things that you would see are essential to creating a great culture? Well, as a productivity coach, obviously, I, I talk a lot about boundaries and communicating those boundaries. And so when I was leading large teams, I would often talk about giving people a sandbox to play in. And I think with work from home right now, that's all people are craving. They want to know, can I take two hours for lunch? Can I homeschool my kids during the day and then do my work in the evening? Like, what is okay? And for the most part, and Renee said this, like people want to do the right thing. They, they want to have a good culture. But if we're not talking about what those boundaries are, and it's not so much rules as it is these, these boundaries, um, I think setting those boundaries, expectations, and then communicating them clearly, talking about them makes everybody just know where they stand. And I, I think a big part of culture that gets missed is people saying, well, I don't, I don't know if I'm doing the right thing, if I'm saying the right thing, if this person likes me. Whereas if you have some boundaries in place, the rules are, the rules are already defined. And I think that that's important. I totally agree. On, on, on that note, I was thinking about having the latitude, having the space to, um, in an office setting, I call them drive-bys, where, where you can just like pop into somebody's office or, or swing by unannounced. And, you know, if, if that person has a little, a little bit of space, you can pull up a seat and chat. And for all of the conversations that we have, about delivering the results and, and the goals that we have and, and everything that needs to be managed and how the productivity levels are. You know, all, all of those conversations that we have about the business priorities, I think it's important to have enough latitude where you can go, this is where it's like, you don't need a ping pong table. Because you can, like, you can just pop in and, hey, how it's going and, and, talk about something that's not work-related for a few minutes and, and catch your breath and have some enjoyment and get re-energized and then, you know, go back and, and do more of whatever it is that you're, you're focused on for the business results. And I think the really great and healthy cultures have that as a, as a part of their way of working. They understand that you know, we're not machines. We're not going to go nonstop. We are going to have to like 
pause and connect in and have some kind of human interaction that is not always on point um, with the with the business goals. I think I just think that's important. I think it's it makes a happy culture, you know, when you enjoy working with people and and you can have those kinds of personal connections intermittently. Um, and we were talking earlier or at some other point about like the virtual work from home and how it's so important to be putting energy into the culture, even though we're not in person. Culture can seem like it's an in-person phenomenon, but we've learned in the past like 11 months that it's really not dependent on in-person. You need to be focused on your, your culture and nurturing the kind of culture that you want. People need it now more than ever. But I think that's, the, that's one of the hardest things to incorporate is those drive-by pop-in chats. It's how do you, you'd have to be very deliberate about encouraging that in a work from home virtual team environment so that people feel like it's okay to pop in on each other and, and it's encouraged. Otherwise, I don't know. I feel like, I don't know what they're doing. I can't see them. I can't like drive by and see that they're not on a client call or they're not in the middle of a sales call or they're not like intensely staring at their screen, trying to figure something out. You know, you don't have those, those reads anymore. So it's, it's an even more of a, like, like in an office, it's kind of like, is it okay? Is it okay to pop in? Or do, does it seem like it's okay? Can, I think they have space. I'm going to give a knock and I'm going to find out. Now it's kind of like, it almost feels like I'm barging in like, Hey, can you talk for a minute? I know I'm totally announced and I, and I'm totally unannounced. And I know I didn't text first before, but is it okay if I like, how are you? So anyway, I just think that's a, that's an important element, particularly these days that we're missing. Well, I think one of the things that comes out of this is just kind of like collecting up a couple of the past points that we've just made here is like, we've talked about fun. We've talked about sort of like non-work activity, discussing non-work things at work. And like, there's a real prevailing notion. You kind of mentioned we're not machines, but there's kind of this uh, machine-like approach to worker productivity that I know Sarah is probably partly one of the reasons why you are so gainfully employed in this uh, helping people avoid burnout is this idea that like you have eight hours, let's maximize worker productivity in that and reap as many gains from that as possible. And that if you're having fun, you're not working. And if you're not talking about work, then you're like wasting the company's dime and all this, right? And I think kind of the point you're just making, Renee, is that I think that what this pandemic and all of this remote work has really shown us is that that entire method of thinking leaves you woefully unprepared for right now. So because when there are people in your office, you can at least kind of see what's happening. But when they're at home, they could be playing video games in the middle of the day and you wouldn't know. They get all their work done in you know the first half of the day and then take the second half of the day off and you wouldn't know if there are no Zoom calls, which let's be real, there's probably about 10 of them stacked up. So it's interesting because when we think about what companies say that they want, happy employees, happy employees probably have some autonomy over their schedule. It's one of the number one indicators, according to, I believe, a Gallup poll said that that's like the number one indicator of job satisfaction is having some autonomy over their role, right? So all of this no fun, all work, no play makes Jack a dull boy sort of thing is counter to what actually makes people happy. Okay, cool. So we messed that up. Um, 
you know, and then like the, the whole, like kind of driving people in productivity efficiency until they burn out. Well, you're not going to get the best work out of people and the least creativity when their minds are constantly being saturated, no time to breathe. So it's so funny that like so many of the things we do kind of as a culture, as like the big culture impact the little culture in our companies and are completely counter to the culture that we say we want. It's kind of an odd thing. Totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is where like how you how you manage can really set the tone for culture. And so before before pandemic, when everyone was was working from home, um, I had uh, previously led teams that sometimes work from home. And so the discussion was always, are people as productive when they're home? Are they what are they doing during the day? Right. And I always felt as if I could trust my team. So I think trust as a part of culture um, is certainly important. And uh, being involved enough to know, I, I had a sense of what they were doing. I knew if people were getting their work done, we had a report back system, but I was always mindful to not overly micromanage because that creates a bad culture also. And so sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm hearing managers going, well, I don't know if my teams are even working at all. And I think, well, maybe that's your opportunity to get more involved on a regular basis. So you don't have to feel like I'm giving them full autonomy, but then I'm going to freak out and then pounce <laughs> when I panic that I don't know what they're doing. And maybe it's just a little more of a balance every day of, some freedoms and some checking in so that everyone involved in that relationship feels accountable and good about the amount that we are producing. And that can look different for every organization, but I think having conversations around that, what's working for you, what's working for me, can really help solve this problem rather than, uh, okay, I'm going to go let you work from home, but then silently I'm going to freak out about it and then I'm just going to unleash <laughs> one day when I'm, when I'm in panic mode. Um, so I don't, Renee, I don't Renee, if you've experienced that at all, but I know that was certainly my experience was, um, how to manage my team before. Yeah. Well, you're, you're making me think about, you know, people who, who, um, lead, lead in a micromanaging kind of a way. And this, this whole work from home is just, if, if this does not knock out a micromanagement style, I don't know what will, because you, you trying to micro, first of all, if, if micromanagement is the go-to leadership style, it's just exhausting. I mean, I appreciate, I think there's a, a time and a place for, for that. Oh, excuse me. Okay, honey. It's okay. It's okay, babe. Classic pandemic style. I know, right? Perfect timing too. I, right. <laughs> Micromanaging, it just does not matter. I mean, and my kids are like, they, they know this. We've had these, we work like my, my house is like an eight. Um, we've got a team kind of set up a team dynamic, you know, Scott and I are the team leaders. The kids are on the team, but we, we talk about things like we're very collaborative, like, okay, I'm going to be doing this from two to three. Please don't come into the office. That means if you need anything from my office, just come in before or after If there's an emergency text me. Like we like set all this up. It's okay. There's not like, I feel a bad. She's like, sorry. It's like, it's okay. It's just part of life. Anyway, 
Yeah, so um, I think micromanagement as a go-to style, like the the number one, like this is what this is how I this is how I've learned to lead is by being on top of every single detail and managing to make sure it happens like all the time and that it's done correctly and perfectly and, and all of that. That's, I mean, that gets exhausting for the leader when I'm working with somebody and they say, you know, I've, I've been told I'm a micromanager and that's something I want to work on. My first thought actually is not for the impact that the micromanaging has on the, the culture. My first thought is for how exhausting that is for the leader to be leading that way all of the time. My second thought is for how frustrating and exhausting it is for everybody around them. So I forget why I started talking about this. Well, I got a little even if you forgot that, I have a really good uh, follow-up point to it, which I think okay. is where I want to take this anyway. So you naturally set me up for it completely unintentionally. Um, so we've been talking about culture here. And to a certain extent, we've been talking about it as this thing that does exist, this thing that is slightly malleable, this thing that sometimes forms on its own and this thing that you can influence. So that's kind of where I want to go with this is just how mm -hmm. malleable is culture. Um, mm -hmm. so there, there's a, a handful of things. So, so I'm just going to lay my bias out right from the outset, which is that I believe that a good company culture does not emerge by accident. It emerges by careful, thoughtful planning, uh, by what behaviors you reward, why, by what behaviors you um, talk through and try to, to shift and alter. I think that it is a very, very deliberate process. And I think that it is essential that leadership plays an, an, ex, an incredibly uh, active role in the shaping of culture. Now, that's not to encourage micromanagement. I don't believe that the best way to, to create a culture is to say, this is exactly how we're going to do it and everybody's going to follow my rules. I think it's about setting a, a series of objectives and goals and ways that we all want to agree upon, getting everybody aligned at the beginning, and then trusting people to make that happen and course correcting along the way. That's my bias to it. And there are a couple of things I think are really helpful here. I'm just going to share real quick. Uh, one of the things that Sarah's probably familiar with, Renee, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but um, I took the uh, Business Made Simple by... Uh, Donald Miller and the whole story brand crew. And they have yeah. a, a segment called mission statements made simple. And one of the things that I got out of it that I really, really liked, and I've been adding it to my brand work is something that he calls critical actions. So critical actions, you pick three of them basically. And it's the idea is these are the three things that I want you to remember to do that basically like lead up to our mission, our purpose, our brand, et cetera. So if you do these things, three things each day, um, that makes you like a good part of this team, right? And that the idea is, is that those three actions that if people did them, those are sort of things that would get someone promoted. It's like things that they do that you want to encourage, right? So it's it's sort of like taking that, the behaviors that we value sort of thing and and making it its own category. So I think if if organizations were to be able to identify what are three critical actions that people could take every single day that would help us to have a great culture, you know, something like um, appreciate a teammate. That's a thing you can do every day, right? Um, be honest and direct, but kind, right? That could be another critical action. So the thing is, if you have a culture of people, you have an organization of people who follow those three steps, you should be able to start taking very small steps towards building the right type of company culture, I would assume. So I think leadership, communication, and you know, kind of having a strong plan is, is one of the best ways to get to the culture that you want. Um, so I guess first, leading from that, Renee, this is something that you primarily are working with leaders. Like I know we said somebody has to be accountable for it, but like your work is primarily with leaders. 
right? So you're dealing with the people who have, by nature of who they are in the company, the ability to say things like, this is what we're going to do. It's kind of baked into their title, right? So when you're working with leaders in these organizations and you're starting with your assessment and you come back with what you're going to do, what are some of the ways that you found yourself most commonly working with leaders to make those shifts? How hands-on do they have to be? How much are they trusting their team and letting go versus how much are they getting involved and really putting their fingerprints on it? So one of the, one of the most important things is that there's clarity of who's responsible for what. And that, that can be muddy more oftentimes than not. Not, you know, even if people have the, the title, you know, director of marketing or whatever, it's, you can have somebody who's director of sales, who's doing a lot of the marketing. I mean, you know, so I think it has to be like really clear of who's responsible for what, and that, I don't want to say that people stay in their lanes, because I, I don't believe in that, but that people are respectful of of where where their responsibilities lie because i think i think you've just got to have that kind of clarity at at the beginning that has a lot that helps a lot with the people's effectiveness the efficiencies you know where to collaborate with whom when like all of that becomes clear so so who's responsible for what that it's really clear and it's supported and it's respected and that there are very clear goals that people are supporting, caring about, you know, that it's leader, the, you know, business goals get communicated top down and I think should be. So I don't have any problem with that. This is not where I'm going with it, but, but I think in the communication of top down, like here are the business goals for the next year or the next quarter or the five years or whatever, that that gets communicated in a way that people want to lean into it and get curious about it and are encouraged to um, promote ideas of like, hey, I have an idea about how to make this happen better or faster. So, so, so there's clear lines of responsibility, there's clear goals, and that there's an, an open communication for people to put forward ideas and know that their ideas are going to be valued. doesn't mean that they're going to happen all the time, but that they're going to be heard and respected and, and valued. So those are like, I think those are the three things that I'll, I'll look to establish as, as soon as possible. And then from there, you can you can begin working with teams on how to proactively and consistently make things happen in a, in a great kind of a culture way that people feel really great about coming to work. Sarah, anything to add to that in terms of, uh, you know, shaping the cultures that we lead and being a part of cultures and like, what are some of the best things that you have found in your work uh, leading your teams has helped to set the culture in the right direction? 
Well, really aligned with what Renee just said, one question I get a lot is that, you know, I have so much on my plate. How do I set priorities? How do I know what to work on first? And you, you both just touched on it. When you know where the company's headed and you know what your role is and how you're contributing to that larger goal, setting your priorities becomes a lot easier. If you've got 10 things you're deciding, you know, what, what are these 10 things am I going to work on next? When that culture is clear, when our mission's clear, setting those priorities is like, oh, that one thing really relates to that. I'm going to work on that first. And so um, I, I just think it's so important that employees know what their work and their contribution to the organization actually means. And that is where work gets meaningful. And and that's when the fun happens too. You, you feel like you're really contributing to a part of something that's important. So instead of just, you know, crunching numbers, pushing papers all day, the work is so impactful. And I just think that that's so powerful. And that, that goes back to your comment about um, that there's recognition, mm -hmm. that, that there's that kind of feedback loop of that was really great, or thanks for doing that, or or something that, you know, when you're working towards the goals and they're clear goals and you're really invested in it, that, that you're also getting that. Thank you. It just feels job. good. It feels yeah. good to be a part of something. And, and I think that's something that can often be missed. Like what I, so I have a productivity system, but the first question to ask is why, why right. are we doing this? And and that's what you're saying. Are the goals clear? You know, do do we understand the purpose of this whole initiative? Um, and that's that's really critical, I think, for leaders to get that to get that right. And they're allowed to make mistakes and be wrong, but I think uh, consistently doing that well is what really can create amazing teams and cultures. Yeah. Can I say something else about the recognition? Of course Jeff, you can. I, <laughs> you, I know, I'm like, I keep talking. I was at something to say. Um, I, I've, I think there can be a, 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 like a misconception as a leader or a manager that if you say thank you, give positive feedback or too much positive feedback or you give too many thank yous, that it's going to work against the productivity. Like people are going to start to think, oh, you know, they think this is great. So I don't have to work as hard. And I mean, on, I think there are times when there, that might be the case. Like if, if you've got a leader who is like overly effusive about it, then I, I think people are going to kind of be like, well, they don't expect as much from me. So, you know, obviously they're very, very happy if I'm just producing <laughs> this kind of work, but but I, I don't run into that very often. For the most part, it is that it's not top of mind to recognize and give feedback because there's so much focus on delivering the goals and everything that needs to happen and all of the gaps in between where we are and, and where, where the actual goal is. So a lot of times it's not top of mind or there's, there's this like misconception that if I give that kind of recognition and positive feedback, then people aren't gonna try as hard which I, I, I don't think is the case. I think people actually try harder when they feel recognized and they get positive feedback. Yeah, I'm 100%. Totally yeah, I'm 100% with that. And, and what I was going to add is um, 
So uh, as you both know, I've uh, written a book called The Lovable Leader, and it's currently being edited. I just got back my first round of substantive edits. It was very cool. Um, but related to this is that so much of the book was about not just leadership as a concept, but how leadership and culture are so tightly linked together that your leadership helps to create the culture. And one of the most important uh, frameworks in the book are what I think are the three most important things towards building a great culture, and that is uh, care, trust, and safe travels. So inside each of those three are a lot of what we've been talking about here. So to the point of like giving too much positive feedback and people feeling like, oh, well, that's all that's expected of me. If you actually really care about your people, then you really care about their growth. So you're not going to allow just good enough and for them to stay stagnant. You're going to want them to get better and better and better, right? And in terms of creating big and ambitious goals and things like that, that fits inside of safe travels. You're saying like, we're going to get to this destination, but we're going to get there safely together. And that allows people to not feel fear while they're doing that work so they can get the best, you can get the best out of all of your people in that. So I just wanted to pass along those kind of like those three pieces, the, the care, the trust, and the safe travels as being what I think is a really good formula for building a great culture. If you just start with those three, Build a culture where people care about one another. You care about the human being that's coming into work. If someone seems sad, that's not like a, hey, you're at work, get it together. That's a, hey, what's going on? Is there anything I can do? Like, do you need a little bit of time before? Like, really actually care about the person, care about their growth and care about what's important to them. Understand what their goals are so you can align yours to them. Um, you know, the the trust piece of it, Sarah, you brought that up. That's super important. If you trust your people, you're not going to micromanage them. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you create uh, an, a, an environment of trust, that means that when somebody comes to you with something, when you do one of those pop-ins uh, or the drive-bys, as Renee said, somebody shares something with you, if they're vulnerable, if they open up and connect with you, you're not going to take that and throw it back in their face because that's just going to close them off more, right? So you have to create that environment of trust. And once you have that, now you have a, a group of people that will all be willing to communicate with one another. And then again, the safe travels is about, it's not just about where we're going. It's that we all get there together and we get there safely. Like what good is getting on a flight that's going to LA if you don't know if it's going to make it there, right? So you want to have some sort of an assurance on your team that we're creating a safe space for all of us, that everyone that's coming along on this journey has a place here and everybody here deserves to feel safe. So those are my tips for like the three steps to building like a really kick-ass culture. I love that. Yeah. I, I one of my safe travels. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say one of my favorite moments as a manager was I had an employee come in and she just was off. Right. And she just like made a mistake that morning. And then she kind of went off on somebody <laughs> in the office in, in an out of character way. And I, I pulled her in the office. I said, what's going on? And she goes, my boyfriend broke up with me last night and I'm devastated. And then she starts crying. I said, come on in the car and I took her to get an ice cream <laughs> and we sat and we ate an ice cream and it was honestly one of the best moments at a manager as a manager because I just I was like she doesn't need me to tell her things are going to be okay or get back to work or buck up it was like let's just go in the middle of the afternoon and I'll buy you an ice cream and it and it couldn't have gone better and it was just like a, a good a good moment and and honestly, the next day she was like, that was exactly what I needed. So that was care right there. You cared about the yep. person and said, you know, what would probably make her feel better. I don't know. Ice cream. And yeah. Was, like, I'm not going to give you another assignment right now. It's not what you need. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I mean, I could, I could talk with the two of you and 
uh, about leadership and culture for hours upon hours, but we are coming to the end of our time here on the Heroic Council today. Um, I want to thank you, Renee, for coming on the show and being so open and generous and sharing what you're working on and how you work with people and some of the tips and um, and strategies that you go about helping to shape company cultures. Um, I hope those that you know either watch this live or uh, listening after the fact. Um, start thinking a little bit more about their impact on their culture, how they can get more involved, how they can, um, you know, really just make an impact on, on where they go and spend all of their time. And, and hopefully with all this going on with this remote work and pandemic, we, we think about it even more and make better decisions should we all come back into real life together. Um, so the last part of the show, we like to have this little thing where we say, what are you into right now? It's a fun little thing we do where we find out like, what's the thing that you're like totally obsessed with right now that you're like super into. Um, and typically we put it on someone and Renee, since you're our guest today, I'm going to put you right on the spot. And I want you to think about things that are going on in your life right now, the last week, two weeks of your life, something you've been a little bit obsessed with, maybe like, you know, to a slightly unhealthy degree. Um, and what's oh. something that you're super into right now? Okay. So I'm going to give, um, <laughs> all right. So evil um, the heavier answer to that is I'm obsessed with our political landscape and the upcoming inauguration. I am constantly checking my news app. Like I've today, I'm actually a job of just like, you know, just like chill out, like gotta rein it in here. So, so there's that. Um, <laughs> And then on like the frivolous side of things, I'm. Oh, whoa. we lost you. I lost you. Oh, no. Oh, there you are. Okay. I hear you now. Got me. Okay. Sorry. On the frivolous side of things, I'm obsessed with Bridgerton. Yes. Mm -hmm. in, in particular, in particular, the Duke of Hastings. The Duke of Hastings. <laughs> I have no idea what this is. This it's, is... tell, tell Erica. <laughs> It's it's like a um, cross. It's a cross between Gossip Girl. It's a it's a Netflix show. It's a cross okay. between Gossip Girl and um, Pride and Prejudice. And I am a. I never watched Gossip Girl, but my kid did, and I'm a big fan of Pride and Prejudice and Jane Austen and period dramas. I'm like obsessed. My husband will walk into the room. He's like, "Oh my god, are they like are you watching another British television show?" And, and I, <laughs> I usually am. So. Um, so anyway, somehow I like I I was googling around to find because these are actors that I haven't seen before. So I was googling around to like see what else they've been in, and I was googling the Duke of Hastings. So now, this <laughs> actor keeps coming up in like my social media feed. Like anytime there's a new article on him, I'm like, oh, oh. again. So I'm blushing. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> Phenomenal. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, I'm going to add my Netflix show to it and say Bling Empire, if you haven't watched it yet. Okay. Uh, a friend of mine is actually in the show, uh, Kevin Kreider, and uh, cool. he's a really sweet dude, and uh, I support everything that he does. So you should go watch it. And and P.S., reality television. Like, in general, refuse to watch any of it. But I'll uh -huh. watch it for this guy because he's a good dude. He's got a good heart. So go check cool. it out. Good. Will do. Yeah. Um, well, all of you listening, thanks for tuning in to the Heroic Council. Uh, Thank you really so much for it. having me today. Yeah, absolutely. With you guys. Thank you. And before we sign off, Renee, where can people go and get in touch with you, learn more about you, hire you to help with their culture, sit down to chat with you and pay you to pick your brain? Tell us all about that. Super easy to contact me through my website, which is my name.com, ReneePollins.com. And then I'm also on LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram, Renee Pollins Coaching on Instagram, Renee Pollins on 
LinkedIn, and I have a podcast called Lead, Grow, Elevate. So you can check that out too. Very cool. We'll thank put it you. all in the show notes. Absolutely promise that. And for all of you listening, thank you so much for tuning in. Please tune in again next week, Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for another episode of the Heroic Council, where next week we will be talking about uh, how to have uh, the secret to great client vendor relationships. Uh, that'll be fun because Sarah has been on both sides of it now. Uh, and uh, I think it'll be, uh, I think it'll be a really worthwhile episode for those of you who are in client services or who are vendors. Uh, so either way, tune back in. Love you all. Thanks so much. And everyone wave goodbye.